Welcome everyone to Second Star to the Left, a podcast on science fiction, fantasy, horror, and everything underneath the umbrella of speculative fiction. I'm your host, Matt, as always, joined by my co-hosts. I'm Bert. Hello. I'm Chris. And I'm Katie. This week we're discussing Brazil, the 1985 Terry Gilliam film. Do you wake from your finest fantasy? Only to return to your daily nightmare. Is your mother about to look younger than you do? Does the woman of your dreams... I love you. In my dreams, I love you. ...still have a few doubts? Then it's time to take a stand. To break out of your dull, humdrum life and into Brazil. You're so pleased. You can make it. It's the story of Sam Lowry, a government bureaucrat in a dead-end job trying to get ahead, who happens to come across a mix-up uh, and where an individual is taken into custody by the bureaucratic totalitarian government in the future um, in exchange for someone else. And that spirals out of control as he happens to run across a woman who resembles a woman that he has been fantasizing and dreaming about for a very long time. Yes. Along the way, he encounters terrorists and really bizarre plastic surgery and all the other things that end up in a Terry Gilliam film. Yeah, this is this is one of the most Gilliam Gilliam films, I think. I mean, I guess Time Bandits is also very Terry Gilliam, but... which is the same time period. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the same trilogy. Yeah. Um, so it, it sounds like everyone had sort of a alienating experience with the film in, in their own way, I guess. I don't know. Like, what are people's thoughts on it? Well, this is a hard movie to watch for fun, I think. Um, it's definitely, like, it. it's funny. You know, there's a lot of moments that, if they don't make you laugh, at least they are absurd in a very, like, clever and intelligent way. Uh, and visually, it's pretty stunning, but it's not, you know, this is not a sit on the couch and watch it for an evening kind of movie. It, like, this one demands some work and effort on your part in a way that, uh, you know, other satirical sci-fi movies, I don't know, like, like I, I, you can sit down and watch them as a movie. This one just sort of demands a little extra input on your part, I feel like. Do you dislike that or no no i don't dislike it but it certainly makes it there's a barrier to entry to this this okay. film i thought it was a pretty standard although yeah visually visually it was pretty well executed like the uh the whole like brutalism was pretty interesting mm -hmm. like and then the contrast between like that and the dreams um but for the most part it was like uh yeah this is just a Super average white guy, uh, like Oedipal, you know, white knight fantasy. So, like, yeah, snazers. Okay. So, so I, I thought lot, that was yeah. one of the things they were satirizing for a lot of the movie. Yeah. yeah like, um, Sam is Sam is very pathetic for the entirety yeah. of the film. Yeah, and, and like, and that's, that's, like, the only good thing about it is, like, you're not supposed to, like, want to be him or think that no. good behavior <laughs> in any way. 
Um, but, you know, it's just still kind of like rings like, like, yep, it's how all, a lot of dudes see themselves. And, um, uh, but yeah, you were right about the hour and a half mark. That was some powerful me energy. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm glad everyone thought of me for that. So thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. I'm, I have a lot to say about this film for a variety of reasons. Um, and I'm not going to get into it all right away because I'll be here for the next hour and then it's the Burt podcast. Great. Uh, but so I first of all have a great contrast between how I felt when I first saw this film and rewatching it this time. Um, I actually rewatched it twice in the past two weeks. I identified it in a way I didn't feel was extremely positive. And then um, I, I felt like it was... I, I kind of felt exactly a, a conglomeration of what Chris and Katie said about it. Um, and I thought it was good, but it was like, first of all, it wasn't fun to watch. And second of all, it, it was very like, what does the director want from me in regards to relating to these characters and, and the love story and the, the quote unquote love story, which is this weird kind of mishmash. And then um, rewatching it, it was extremely important on a personal level to me. I came to understand a lot of things about what the director was trying to do and what the story is trying to do and um it's a much much better film than i gave it credit for uh although i can totally understand people not getting it or hating it or thinking it the ending is weird or really any any variety of those things it it feels like because of how i personally relate to it it's probably off-putting to a lot of other people (laughs) so tell me more about the personal relation Okay, um, well, then we're opening the can of worms. So I have a schizoid personality disorder, um, which is not the same as schizophrenia, um, although it's sometimes called schizotypal. And just to, to a lot of people misunderstand it, it's not well-researched. So to, to throw the Wikipedia out here, um, it's a personality disorder characterized by lack of interest in social relationships a tendency towards a solitary or sheltered lifestyle, secretiveness, emotional coldness, detachment, and apathy. Affected individuals may be unable to form intimate attachments to others and simultaneously demonstrate a rich, elaborate, and exclusively internal fantasy world. Which is essentially, Sam Lowry in this movie is the mo- the biggest analog to a schizotypal character I've seen, like a schizoid person. Um and it is definitely not positive because the disorder itself is not positive. Like, it's not a good thing <laughs> by any means. So I think when I watched it as a kid and I was undiagnosed, um, I felt a very weird relationship to it that I didn't necessarily like because it was essentially a relationship to my disorder. And now watching it, it's like, oh my gosh, this is like a representation of this and in, in, a, in some ways an indictment of it. And it really hit me on that level. Whereas I, and, and to be fair, it's, it's broader than just the disorder. It's, it's how that, how that schizoidness is reflected in society now. So it definitely does have a like narcissistic white guy problem feel to it. But, but I do feel it's deeper than that. The problem is if, if you don't, if you don't have a personal relation to that or a, or a way to, 
relate to it, then it... It it becomes very difficult to connect to, yeah. Exactly. Well, and to be fair, people with this disorder are difficult to connect to. It's, (laughs) It's... That's the nature of the disorder, is you're essentially a prick a lot of the time who hates everything or or you're you're in your own world and you're not interested in the real world it's just like in the movie so most people's reaction to that is going to be why the fuck should i care like it's not welcoming to me so so yeah it's going to be a very strange it's going to be hard to explain all the stuff that i find interesting and and appropriate to to that but yeah, it sounds like that that for you though that it's um, to see a level of personal representation on film, mm. like was really meaningful to you. And that's part of the connection for you. For yes, this. and and at the same time, but but it could have gone the wrong way. Um, there are other movies. There are a very small amount of other movies with schizoid characters, and and a lot of times they're just they're they're either not the focus of the film or they're or they're not antagonists or or they're or they're represented as pure antagonists which is bullshit because the the disorder itself is not a good thing like obviously and and to represent i don't know it's like if you had a movie with like an alcoholic and you represented them as hey it's great they're alcoholic they're having fun and everything's good you know i'm sure there's movies like that where it's just like drinking's great who gives a shit and then it doesn't take a real deep dive into the issues that come with that and then at the same time you can get movies where like alcohol bad you know nancy reagan approves of this movie you know like like (laughs) bullshit you know so yeah this movie does a very good job of of really getting deep into it and understanding like the nuances of the problems with that um and not just like i don't know how personal it was for gilliam it feels kind of personal to me at least watching it but it's also like on the broader scale of like i said like society how you see these attitudes prevail in the real world in systems you know there's clearly some connection between the storyteller and the main character yes uh because the movie does want you as a viewer to want him to be ultimately successful even though you know you're kind of pulled away from that just by how off-putting he is throughout pretty much every single scene um i i think that like my real problem with the reading of it there is that he even for a short period but he does get the girl and i have a lot of I have a really hard time explaining like how and why that happened. And it makes me feel like I missed something. Sure. And I, I can totally jump into that too, but, but I've talked for a lot. So <laughs> go on. I would say um, regarding the personal nature. Um, I mean, this is pulling from Wikipedia, but uh, Gilliam did see this something like there's a long dispute between him and the co-author uh, for the screenplay, Charles Alberson. And also Gilliam describing this as fitting into the middle of a trilogy that he had put together, a trilogy of imagination. Um, and I would argue compared to the other films. And so for myself, I am a person who is not a big Gilliam fan. You know, I've seen Monty Python. I've seen Fear and Loathing. I think this is a film that is a little bit more him. And I think that's a it's an accurate reading that this is something that he is... A lot more of Gilliam, I think, is in this film than it would be otherwise, even to the point of like casting, I believe, Michael Palin as the Jack Lint character. Um, he, like that's uh, Michael Palin was a close personal friend of Gilliam's. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, and also the he mentions in an interview that the bureaucracy uh, was something that he had struggled with personally his whole life. And right. the bureaucracy is very clearly an antagonist in this film. So I think it's fair to read into it a reasonable amount that like this is Gilliam himself coming forward on the screen in a way that at least compared to other films I've seen of his, again, this is me as an outsider to uh, a Gilliam fan, um, I think it's, it's fair. But this is what he's presenting in much more of him telling a story even to the point of the end of the story like he fought extremely hard to maintain the end of the story where uh the character sam is basically lobotomized or um fantasizing and just kind of catatonic he retreats into his internal fantasy world as as a response to the impartialness of the real world Mm -hmm. um as a last resort because because the entire movie the conflict that takes place is is the schizoid conflict of of you escape into your internal world, your your self like pleasing internal world, and then when you see a way to try to bring that into the real world, you will at all costs. But it eventually the world will stamp that out, which also has ties into his creative process and the bureaucracy. Like it, you know, at the end of the day, like that's. He's he's making a statement on how escapism is not. I I really feel it is it is a personal statement, but it is totally self-deprecating and self-critical. Um, I understand how people can see it the other way because because of the tropes used and the way it's shot and and everything about it. Um, but my takeaway was it's it's definitely self-critical. Not you know, this is me on on screen, but also this is not okay. I think. The part that falls flat for me, and, you know, I'm hearing that you have a lot of personal connection to the film. Yeah. To me, it comes across, and this is, again, outsider to Gilliam, as, like, this, like, 1984 homage. Right. Um, You know, so many of the tropes from, like, 1984 are here. The never-ending war with another country. Yeah. The sort of the bureaucracy as evil thing that Orwell is, like, really into. Right. And... I think that to me, if it seemed almost derivative, and then yeah. it seems so. It seems to me it's like this, like 1984 wannabe film, and then it adds in. Although I guess it's in 1984 itself that the, the sort of the fantasy piece. Yes. But the the fantasy in this film is so indulgent. I think for me as the viewer, it's almost hard to tell. Like, is this, how does. Because I can, I can tell the director has some kind of connection with Sam Lowry. Right. I can tell he cares. I can tell he likes him. But I don't like him. And I think that's the challenge for me is, like, how much is his satire? How much is of it? And I think you're talking about that deprecation kind of piece, that right. self-deprecating film. That, to me, I think is, is, one, giving me a new way of looking at the film. But also it's just, like, this challenge of, like, how do I read this? How do I spend this time? Like, there's a long, drawn-out samurai fight versus a Western noble knight thing. Yes. Versus, like, this, like, imagery. Like, the imagery of the film is of Icarus. It's him yes. flying in this, like, sunset, or, or in the sunshine. Which is thematically appropriate, too. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. And then the connection with the female character, it's... I... I, I I feel like there's the satirical element to it, but it's hard to draw that line because of that self-deprecation. I can feel the director in the film right. in a way that makes it hard for me to 
embrace as a satire and have the appropriate emotional distance, I think, that comes with watching a satire. Okay. If that makes sense. Yes. And that was what I struggled with the, the first when I was when I was younger. And the thing is, is I don't I don't think you're supposed to have an emotional distance. Like, I feel like it. it yes, a lot of it is satirical, but at the end of the day, it's it's practically a horror movie. Like it's it's you are supposed to like viscerally be hurt by it as opposed to. <laughs> I mean, it and, it and and like I said, that can be kind of hard if. Because because Sam Larry by nature, like I don't like the character either. I don't I don't feel like you're supposed to. I really right. do not feel like you are supposed to like this character. Right. Even even if they get you to cross the line into identifying and empathizing, there's certainly you're certainly not supposed to want to be friends with him or anything like that. Right. And I think that's kind of part of why Gilliam reacted so negatively to the ending tampering. I mean, I understand you can look at that as uh, artists are gonna art and they're gonna they're gonna get freaked out about their vision and da da da. But I feel like test audiences reacted negatively because a lot of them probably got bought into, oh, Sam Larry, it's a love story and he should get the girl at the end. It's like, you're, you're not getting what you're supposed to get out of this movie. Like, he is not, he's not a good character. He's, he's literally about halfway through the movie. He's just represented as like basically a big uncaring piece of shit who only cares about himself. And, and and most of his storyline is him stalking her effectively through right. his like government powers. Right. And I feel like like the movie the movie takes like a romantic look at that, like aesthetically, but it's to me it's very clearly like here's here's what being this this person would be like. And it's not good. It's it's just let's get inside this world of it like i said the the schizoid type of personality as opposed to like it's it's hard it's like it honestly it feels like one of those old noir movies where you follow around like like a an insurance fraud murderer or something like double indemnity or something where you're not watching yeah i i do think this movie is heavily noir influenced like a big part of that is the the retro futurism sets a bunch of its technology as like basted 1940s like aesthetics and so then that puts you into a noir space and then uh just like the a lot of the coloring and the brutalism and stuff like yeah. that gives you that sort of visual feel yeah and on a lot of those movies you are not you're supposed to feel uncomfortable like oh shit i'm not the type of person that would ever be in this situation but now i'm thrust into a world where like the antagonists or antagonists or, or the protagonists are in that situation and i'm supposed to feel with that like alfred hitchcock loved that kind of stuff like like now now you sided with a murderer how do you feel about that audience right. you know audience uh, intentional audience discomfort yeah right and 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 at the same time it's hard because clearly a lot of the film is 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 educated by satire and, and couched in that kind of thing like mm-hmm. it, it's very clearly at times is like check out this ridiculous like facade it's it's hilarious haha and it's winking it's i it, like it's you know tapping its nose at you or whatever and so the, there is a definite differentiation between those things for me but i can totally like i said i can totally see how that's it's hard to square any of that stuff in this movie um for anyone plus you know being a deeply personal like it's it's like sam larry you you don't relate to most people 
Like, honestly, I think the only person he relates to in this movie is the fantasy depiction of the person in real life, which is not even the real person. So, <laughs> you know, uh, totally expected for people not to empathize or understand that or relate to it. I loved when... Because at some point, like, that you are getting... You're getting sold this bill of goods that, like, Sam Lowry is the protagonist, is the hero of the story... And then I love the moment when she, like, kicks him out of her truck. Right. I do not understand the transition to, like, her seeing him holding onto the grill of the truck and then, like, letting him in and then eventually, like, having sex with him. Like, that, I... Yeah. Um, um, it's better if you just on. imagine that he died because that's the only way that makes sense. <laughs> that yeah. he's just brain dead. Because, yeah, like... A lot of movies do this, right? Where they they'll portray, um, you know, a, a sort of strong or fierce or like an unapproachable woman, and then all the character, like the main male character, has to do is show like I don't know some amount of like uh, concern, empathy, and then it's just like oh, panties coming she's, off. Yeah. She's done. Yeah. yeah it's, oh, I'm so tired of resisting. Wild. I'm so grateful for yeah. your whatever wiener. Um, <laughs> And it's just like it's just really exhausting. So like yeah, at that point I'm like, oh she killed him, and like now he's dead, and this makes sense. Is why she should be relieved because let me tell you, I wouldn't have. I'm like I'd be like, oh, fuck, gotta back out this truck and try to get him. Right, right. <laughs> I think I would say that's the point where the film starts to bleed fantasy and quote unquote reality together. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I don't think that they slept together at all. Yes. I think oh, that. No. Yeah. <laughs> that scene that scene was just like very like ugh, ugh. right i don't it's, even uh, think she's she's a real person to be quite honest i don't think she's I, a real character no she's real because the introduction the very opening of the movie is her watching the i think tuttle or buttle guy get attacked and captured in his own apartment right. and she's the witness to that so that's the connection she's the, witness I the think... first scene where she's scrubbing her arm bandage with a toothbrush in the back yeah yeah Yes. Um, I think the it's to me it's the long hair that's the tell because the fantasy always has her as very feminized and long hair True. and he alters that and he tries to make them meet halfway by having her wear that wig supposedly yeah uh, during that yes uh, during that scene and so that for me is when I think for him he is starting to disassociate and so when Jack Lint tells him we found her we killed her Right. That's probably true. Well, symbol. Okay, so I think this is a this is not a pipe situation. Um, yes, she is a character in the confines of the plot of the movie, but realistically, like even past the dream sequences, she's not. What she represents in the narrative of the movie is not a real person, and that's a very hard thing because because obviously, that that comes with a lot of problematic natures and stuff like that. But so, for example, in the first scene, she's she's in this bathtub like scrubbing herself in this gray disgusting bathtub okay so just in the narrative of the movie like she is um she is free from the the confines that sam lowry has to deal with she is she is an idealized version of him like she she is scrubbing all this shit off watching the marx brothers not giving a shit she just does what she wants 
And because of that, the Bureau of Information wants her, or the Ministry of Information. They, they, they want to kill her and snuff her out. But she's just doing whatever the fuck she wants. That's who she is as a person. And the thing is, is the movie tells you, through a lot of cinematic language, like, it's it's not even like a love... I mean, it's it's really just a fantasy story where, where like, he... Mm-hmm. The, the first right. time He's he sees... constantly fantasizing about her, but even whether in, it's... Outside whether of it's fantasy. in the fantasies, right, right, that, right, right. Whether it's within the fantasies where she's showing up as a damsel in distress, or outside the fantasies where he he is like he's got her face on a piece of paper and he's trying to track her down, like he's constantly fantasizing. But about the her. first time he actually sees her in the real world of the movie, she mm-hmm. he's he's in Miss Buttle's place and she's up there saying, "Are you all right?" And he sees her through the mirror. And so that's a very clear statement. Like this is this is what this character wants, not just to have, but to be, and can't be. And then like you know he turns the mirror and sees himself. It's like a disappointment. It's like oh shit. And then it's like I have to find this version of myself. It's it's it's, and and Gilliam has said this is not a love story. This is like an indictment of that concept of the romanticizing right. of love. It's so yeah. And, and, but it's, the, the problem is, as I see it as an indictment, but at the same time to do that and have a female character represent it, it's going to be highly problematic because you, they're going to get shit on the entire movie. They're going to look bad. And, right. And the, the, yeah. the thing that like really sucks here is like, if it is subverting that love story in the way that, that you're saying is, which I, I, I can buy but then you take like you've introduced a a female character with agency and then you tell us that she's actually not a character at all right and she doesn't have any agency whatsoever right and that that's like really hard to watch at that point it is and it's probably the hardest thing about this movie because the thing is is it it is representative of of that schizoid ideal of of like your your pushing your fantasies onto other people and and you you literally depersonalize people at some point but the problem is is to represent that in a fictional narrative it's like oh shit like it's it's there's no way to the i I mean the only way would be like you said to have her kick like and honestly i i kind of feel like at the end of the film it, it probably should have ended in some manner to that at the very least like yeah, have the have the disconnect come sooner when she kicks him out of the car. Have her go about her her normal life, which to be fair is probably going to end in death. <laughs> but at least yeah. like it's on her terms. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she's a better character for it. But it's yeah, it's hard. That's like the that's the thing I feel like Gilliam didn't do the best in this movie katie i don't want us bearded chuckle fucks to be the ones like dominating this part of the conversation so i really yeah. want to make sure that <laughs> i mean i i think i said like what i feel about it. it's just like it's the fact that it's it's done i think as a satire kind of undercuts like some of the grodiness you know not all of it but like it is still definitely like a, you know the female characters are problematic it's only like the wailing widow the um yeah the damsel in distress fantasy uh or the overbearing mother like ah cool i see we're hitting all the high notes for tropes yeah (laughs) so like yeah 
Yeah, the two the two plastic surgery addicted old women. Who... Well, plus the uh, the daughter that is getting handed off to some. Oh yeah, he's supposed to be. Yeah. I guess mentally feeble or something. I don't know what they're trying to do. Yeah, it's just like not great. It's just nothing was great. It's just. I I do like her. Oh, I don't like you either. Line. I that like was, that, too. that was that, yes. that was nice that they put that in there of being like, oh look at her, she should be grateful. It's just like ugh, no. Yeah. <laughs> And I feel like, like, yeah, th- that's that's a good representation of, of of what this movie is trying to do and what it does. Like, like, I feel like its treatment of female characters is self-serving. And at the same time, it, on some level, Gilliam realizes that and goes, okay, like, anytime Sam Larry is being a piece of shit, sooner or later in the movie, like, probably towards the second half, somebody goes, hey, dude, you're fucked up. Because you're you have no connection to this world anymore, and he has this kind of weird like cognitive dissonance, and then just moves on somehow. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. I was gonna say like the the one standout uh, to me was uh, Bob Hoskins, A plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My favorite part of the movie is Bob. Hoskins. He's great. I do appreciate for if we're talking about things I enjoyed. Two things stand out to me as like really cool or potent symbols of the world. I liked that uh, Sam Lowry's phone, he has to himself be the operator for it. Like, it has, like, a little switch panel, like, as if, like, a normal, like, operator jack. Yep. But he's the one that has to do it. And that feels perfectly apropos for a bureaucratic universe that the film constructs where everyone is trying to navigate an incomprehensible thing on their own. And then the other piece that I loved was the kids playing cop. Ah. Yes. That was so like for like little things in the movie, and I I still feel it's rather indulgent. I just love the little thing about the cop, the kids reenacting the cop piece, even to the point of reenacting what it's like to arrest someone in this universe. We put the bag over the head and they have a little mouth flap. I loved that scene yeah. with the little kids. Was I thought that was and it's perfect. on backwards, so you can't see. Yes. Yeah. Um, I I love that entire scene. The the way he goes into Miss Buttle's, like, flat or whatever it is, and, like, just, he clearly doesn't care, and it's just awkward. All he cares about is how it's awkward for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't that's, know come here or whatever. Yeah, and, and, and anytime she blows up or, or won't answer, he, he takes it, like, personally, like, in a weird passive-aggressive way. There, there's so many little things that, that I've had in my personal life it's like uncomfortable for me to even watch it's like i've i've lived this all the time in weird ways like like and then like at the end of the scene he he's such an ass like he 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 chases her around and he like his car's on fire he doesn't give a shit and then like the little girl like that's that's like one of the only epiphanies he has in the movie about what a shit what a shit heel he is is like the little girl is like oh uh her name's whatever her, i can't even remember her name because she's barely in the movie but um he tells her her name and then and he's like oh you're a good girl who's your and, and he's like what are you doing out here and she's like my dad's my dad's gonna come home soon and he's like oh he'll be happy when he gets home and then he goes oh wait i literally just <laughs> I just showed up here to tell them about the receipt for their fucking dead father. Like, you know, like it takes that much to get any self-reflection out of him. And I, I kind of wish like it's hard because if he would come full circle at the end of the movie, maybe. But it's 
it's such a it's such an overbearing thing like like schizoid it's so it's so overbearing that it's just like there's and plus in the confines of the movie there's no escape from the fucking state at any point in time so yeah that's that's a great scene for me um there's a lot of little things that gilliam does little touches he loves that apparently the yeah the details were definitely the highlight the the biggest highlight of the movie to me the commercial for like are your ducks old-fashioned was amazing (laughs) Uh, just all the little visual cues, the... I love the apartments. The The apartment reminded me very much, there's a short story by Ray Bradbury called There Will Come Soft Rains, yeah. which is about the, uh, a house, an automated house that's still existing after the end of the world. Mm. And the scene with the toast and things like that, uh, just really reminded me of that sort of Ray Bradbury-esque of, like, futurism but in a very tragic way. And I, I love this, the, the apartment pieces. And then the weirdness of, of Harry Tuttle, where he's like a, he's a terrorist in the sense that he does, he uh, fixes people's stuff without doing the paperwork. People. Yeah. And he has to, <laughs> it was such a Harlan Ellison concept. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It was very Harlan Ellison. Like it, it, it uh, there's a lot of classic sci-fi in a lot of this stuff. Um, I think that's why I struggle with it too, because it sometimes seems like a pastiche of like, other sci-fi things yes. that Gilliam really loved, and he's like, I want this piece here, and this piece here, and then this piece here, and I don't really see a, a connection between them all, but I really like this thing, so let's do it. The the 1984 thing the most is, is kind of eh to me. I, I don't feel like... I don't... Just because, honestly, it's mostly because I don't like 1984 that much, um, whereas the other stuff I really like. Yeah, but even then, it's... I, I kind of like the idea that like even Sam Lowry, he's 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 not even really a victim of the system, I guess, as far as his fantasy world goes. Is but he's at the beginning of the film, before he finds the girl, he's totally fine. Just um, that's another point I strongly relate to is when he's talking to his mom and he's like, or whoever. I think it's his boss too, and he's just like, I don't want to do anything else. I just want to fucking work here because who like he doesn't have any ambition at all. It's because because his his world to him is his internal fantasy world, not the real world. So if he can just skate by in the real world and get back to whatever he's doing internally, then he doesn't care. Um, That's something I felt in my life where everybody wants you to do something and you don't care because your priorities are so internalized that it, it doesn't matter to you. Like if you get a fucking promotion or not, (laughs) like to, which to, to a horrible job, I'm sure. Um, yeah, there in there's just a lot of weird service to other sci-fi in this movie. Um, Harlan Ellison definitely. Um, there's stuff that's definitely been taken for for future movies like Dark City. I feel like is very analogous to this movie. Um, kind of some stuff from Children of Men actually, in some places. So I mean, for for my criticisms of like those like pretty major plotting and characterization decisions most you know the the technique of the film and everything surrounding that the pacing uh just the visuals and stuff like most of these are just at a pretty extraordinarily high level like i i i felt like i was seeing cool things or interesting things that were keeping me pretty engaged for the whole thing and i liked a lot of those choices and and thought that there was a lot to kind of marvel at here 
yeah, directorially, I feel like it's it's him at, his, at the top of his game. It's just the nature of what mm-hmm. story was trying to get told and why. Um, yeah, and it got things got a little mixed up in the middle. I felt like, but the the tools being used were very sharp. Katie, I'm curious, mm-hmm. what would an arc that would satisfy you for Jill look like? For Jill, I mean, I there are a lot. There was a lot about her that I really liked. Um, because, like, yeah, she was sort of, like, just doing her own thing, living her life, and she was essentially labeled a terrorist because she was trying to advocate for someone else um, and was just, like, dogging them, um, you know, dogging the bureaucracy to be like, no, you need to be held accountable for this. Um, and so, you know, I really I actually really liked her character, like, the very little that was done to sort of show you who she was. Um, it's just unfortunate that she got swept up, um, you know, in the storytelling as like, yes, she's a fantasy. Yes, they fucked while she wore his mom's wig. And it's, su- I just, I can't get over it. It's just super gross. Um, <laughs> and their bed too. Like, ah, like my, my, my brain was. Well, yeah. And then five minutes after that, they show like his mom literally being Jill or whatever. Of, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it was overt, right? Like it was definitely supposed yes. to be that. Um, I don't know. I think for her, like, she just sort of been, like, used his resources and, like, all right, peace, bye. You know, like, I'm not sure how far she could have gotten, but, like, if that was, if she was already, like, targeted, essentially, for making a stink, for giving a shit about someone else, like, that's already pretty bleak, right? Like, um, yeah. I also like that the, the two te- known terrorists that, you know, are uh, the the two Americans, essentially. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just, I don't know what would have been a good ending for her, but I think it would just have been where she, you know, accepts his help and then uses his like influence and his, I guess, delusion to sort of been like, all right, thanks. Bye. I will say, um, Terry Gilliam apparently had issues with the performance. I think Kim Greist. Um, yeah. And I thought she was awesome. Yeah, I thought I, her acting was just like I thought really she was great. great. That's yeah. the actual biggest, the biggest disconnect I have with Gilliam on this movie is is like he because he cut a lot of her stuff out of the movie apparently, and it's in the it's in the theatrical cut which no one will watch because of the happy ending that sucks. Uh, yeah, she's great. I don't. I, I I honestly like watch her in this movie. I'm like, why isn't I? I honestly haven't seen her in anything else, and she seems like she has a really good presence. She has a great attitude that she gets across and all this stuff and i'm like I, I don't know why he had any problems with her like and 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 honestly it might it might bleed into like i feel like everything about this movie is this weird meta narrative of of gilliam's like artistic decisions and ideas itself so it, it might even bleed into just his his uncaringness for that character it it really does suck because like I don't know, because I, I do like that character before all the bullshit. <laughs> but I, on some level, on the story, I feel like the movie is trying to tell the the problematic nature of it makes sense. It's not. Uh, it's obviously not fun, <laughs> or or you know, it's not going to be pretty because it's this weird self-deprecating look at it. So it's it's hard. It, it's on that level of do you want to tell the whole truth or do you want to touch it up for Hollywood, you know, which again, the meta narrative. 
the endings and all that. It's, I mean, like, I don't, I don't dislike this movie for what it's worth. Um, I think partly because it's supposed to be a satire and because even with the, like the problems with it, it's still just very visually well done. Like it's, I'm actually Mm -hmm. kind of surprised that it has held up for 30 something years, like almost 35 years now. Um, so there's that, but yeah, like, it's just, unfortunately, like even the movies that like I've picked, like there are just a lot of times there's definitely issues with like how they write minority characters. Like I don't think there's a single person of color in this whole movie. Like, nope, nope, it was all white. And then like a couple, um, tropes of women and like that was about it so i have a really interesting quote here i was reading about kind of escapism in sci-fi there's this article by charlie jane anders on Giz- on gizmodo and they they quote uh ursula k Le Guin, who i know we're a fan of on the podcast um and it just has a lot like i feel like this movie a lot of it is about the mistake in escapism not just in like the real world but in sci-fi too it says, what if we're escaping from a complex, uncertain, frightening world of death and taxes into a nice, simple, cozy place where heroes don't have to pay taxes, where death happens only to villains, where science plus free enterprise plus the galactic fleet in black and silver uniforms can solve all problems, where human suffering is something that can be cured like scurvy. There is no escape from the phony. This is an escape into the phony. It doesn't take us in the direction of the great myths and legends which is always towards an intensification of the mystery of the real. This takes us the other way, towards a rejection of reality, towards madness, infantile regression or paranoid delusion or schizoid insulation. The movement is retrograde and autistic. We have escaped by locking ourselves in jail. And inside the padded cell, people say, gee, wow, have you read the latest Belch the Barbarian story? It's the greatest. Which is so analogous to, like, today's sci-fi. And this was, like, 40 years ago or something. <laughs> With the way movies are now, I feel this in reality. Like, people kind of retreat into their their internal superhero fantasy comic worlds at, at sci-fi, mm-hmm. and they don't have any bearing on... They, they deliberately do not want them to have a say in the real world. Like, they don't want any interaction between those two things. Oh, the whole, like, I can't believe you made this character gay you've totally politicized my video game sure or even i don't want to read any reviews because they will tell me something about the movie i haven't seen yet um Mm. like all criticism is even outside of criticism just there's also an escape of like like any kind of analysis of the real world in these movies is taken as like that's not what these are about these are supposed to only be about these characters and how they you know how the universe. You're talking about the, the Game of Thrones thing, like yes. that. There's no deeper. There's no deeper meaning to the stories we're telling. We're just telling stories, right? Escapist fantasy, which I feel like is represented in this movie. It's it's because because Sam Larry is not a a rejection of the system. He is part of the system. His internalization of 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 fantasy is complemented by the system. The system wants that. Like, uh, the, or the people in, in the office who are watching Casablanca every time the boss closes the door, you know, like it's, it's like, yes, the system has accounted for that and it's fine as long as it doesn't get in the way. It's good because it's escapist and it has no say in the real world. It's not blowing up restaurants, you know, that has nothing to do with it. The, the escapism is, is, is pointless. Well, and there, people still practice that escapism, though, even in the movie. Right. So, the, like, the, you talk the explosions. Every time the explosions happen, people try to completely ignore what's going on with it. 
and just go back to whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah, they put up the screen and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. We didn't expect this to happen. There's people bleeding everywhere. Even even in the scene where Sam Lowry, like it happens to Jill, all he cares about is Jill. Where's Jill? Is she okay? There's people dying around him. And he's yeah. like, he's like, oh, all I care about is my fantasy woman. Like, even though, even when he like <laughs> decides she must be the terrorist, it was a bomb after all. Like his focus is still entirely on her. Exactly. To the exclusion of everything else. Yeah. And, and his problem with the bomb isn't that isn't anything to do with the actual terrorism. It's the problem of the disconnect between her being a terrorist and his fantasy. It doesn't fit into his idealized version of her. But yeah, but even then I'm saying like in the real world we see this like and, and in sci-fi there's there's a a sort of escapism that I don't feel is positive. <laughs> but like it can be positive, it's just not used. It, I feel like it's a byproduct of of late stage capitalism, you know? <laughs> like everybody's just so done. They just want to retreat into into the comic book world and get away from it. Or we engage with like massive apocalyptic films as our world is on fire around us yeah although a lot of times see then it's a question of does this actually reflect what we're really going for like what we're really living or is it a, a 2012 fantasy escapist thing yeah the world's gonna die but it's cool because we'll all get boats everything's okay everybody you know <laughs> i so i i see i hear what you're saying but i also think that in any genre, at any point in time, there are going to be bad works that are, like, kind of meaningless, and there are going to be good works. Sure. And certainly, if you go out and you watch the good science fiction movies that have something to say, or you read the good science fiction novels that have purpose, you're going to avoid a lot of these problems because they specifically are not there, you know like there's great stuff around there that is not escapist the best sci- the point of science fiction um and the reason that i love it is because it separates characters from certain trappings of our world so that it can focus on very specific concepts and like make them stand out and make the human reaction to them the focus of the movie or the the book or whatever and uh and this is like obviously my big problem with like the marvel universe and that sort of thing is like it's storytelling on a grand scale that focuses a lot on characters but really is not like particularly insightful about the human condition in the ways that like science fiction gives you tools to uh, address it with um and and so i i definitely see the point of that criticism as like hey we've got these escapist things are they really accomplishing anything for us besides allowing us to escape um but there's always going to be shallower materials to waste a little time on and then when you can engage then there are more you know there's stuff with hooks yeah and actually the article i was reading that from is is not an it's actually a celebration of escapism as as mm. how it can be used in sci-fi as as really meaningful or or um valid it it's it's using that as a springboard and and he, Kayla Glenn gets into that too it's it's not always like it's not always pulp nonsense this there's there's a lot of value to be found in that too so there's like i you know i love star wars and there's a place <laughs> for star wars like it's just 
you're never going to convince me otherwise. For the Star Wars <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say um, thank you, Bert, for sharing your perspective. I really appreciate that. I think it really helped. I think it really brought a perspective to the film that I hadn't considered before. So thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm glad you appreciate it. One thing I will say is like, uh, schizoid personality disorder is, is highly misunderstood in the medical community and and it's because it's mainly because people that have it don't seek help for it because like why would sam lowry ever seek help for his fucking delusions like in his in his world like everybody else is the problem so usually my my method of that of working against it is is identifying where you do those things and cutting them out and and also like being being straight like with people like hey this is this is a problem being straight with yourself because it's very easy because it's oh there's a lot of there's a lot of disorders where it's self-fulfilling so why would you ever go to the doctor you know what i mean so um Mm -hmm. yeah uh i'm glad it brought a different perspective although i will say all all the problems you guys are bringing up totally valid especially the the stuff with women is especially valid it's and and valid in the nature of this disorder itself it's very self-important and and the movie itself i will totally admit is a self-important movie and and at the expense of women and and definitely minorities because there's none in the movie (laughs) so um while i do find value in it those are totally valued like like totally understandable reactions to this and i kind of i agree with those on a lot of levels i i think that gilliam in, in his other movies you know he does he can do a better job with that so (laughs) thank you everyone for listening next week we'll be discussing the 1989 film the abyss directed by james cameron again thank you very much for listening uh you can find us all on social media at second star cast uh or you can find us individually on our own twitter accounts you can find me matt at a very big bear um i'm at refreshing time and at space drill on twitter um i tweet about exclusively magic the gathering at at ccr underscore grindcast (laughs) i am uh an esoteric garbage curator at anime weed fart 69 so once again this this has been second star to the left thank you for listening and have a good week